0: Welcome to The Jury Is Out, a podcast for trial attorneys who want to sharpen their skills and better serve their clients. Your co-hosts are John Simon, founder of the Simon Law Firm, and St. Louis attorney Eric Veith.
1: Welcome to another episode of The Jury Is Out. This is Eric Veith. Today, we'll be offering you one of our encore episodes from a previous season. We hope you enjoy it. We'll be back with a new episode next time. Welcome to another episode of The Jury Is Out. I'm Eric Veith, and today I'm joined by two other people. Amy Gunn, hello. Good to see you on this podcast.
0: Thank you, Eric. You too.
1: I should just put in a quick plug. You have your own podcast. You want to mention a sentence or two about that?
0: You bet. So the ladies at the Simon Law Firm have a podcast called Heels in the Courtroom, where we talk about numerous topics, including trial skills, because we're all trial attorneys, but also life skills and how to balance everything that goes on by being a professional woman these days. So it's a lot of fun. We have exciting conversations, at least from my perspective, and I would welcome anybody to subscribe and listen.
1: Thanks, and as you know, we're back again with Charla Aldus, Texas attorney who handles complex High Stakes Cases. Charlotte, welcome back again for part 2.
2: Thank you, Eric. I'm very happy to be
1: here. We've talked a lot about you and your cases. I have a few topics I'd like to talk about. My understanding is that there's no lawyers in your family or extended family. You were the first. What were your career plans when you were getting close to graduating from high school?
2: You know, my career plans were to graduate from high school and find a job. That's about it. I was the typing champion of Sherman High School and the shorthand champion. I still have great shorthands, believe it or not. But I can remember like yesterday, a female attorney from Sherman came to visit with our class who's a family lawyer and talked about the practice of law. And I thought that's what I want to do. I want to be a legal assistant and work in a law firm. That was something that I really, really was excited about. I took the ACT and I got a partial scholarship to Austin College. I took a constitutional law class and even just with law school and everything, it was the hardest class I've ever taken. And the professor was a a man named Ken Street. and He was also my mentor. And I absolutely loved constitutional law. I just absorbed it. He took me into his office one day and he said, you were born to be a lawyer. And I'm like, oh, come on, Dr. Street. That's the silliest thing I've ever heard of. He said, no, I'm going to help you in the path." to become a lawyer. I get goosebumps every time I say it. And I also get tears in my eyes because he he is the one that believed in me and said, you can do this. And I did it. And it's so neat. He passed away two years ago, but he followed my career and we stayed in touch through all of, of everything. And for the successes that I have had, he was incredibly proud and I owed him my career path.
1: I've sometimes thought back to my own mentors and I've encountered some really Awesome people in my past. And once in a while, I just get this little shudder like, what if they hadn't been there to nudge me in a direction? Do you ever get that thought? I knew, Eric.
2: I get that feeling, what if they hadn't nudged me or what if they hadn't cared? I mean, what if they, it had just been a job to them? There was no reason Dr. Street had to take an interest in me. He was a tenured professor, he was a brilliant man. And I was quite frankly, a very shy 20-year-old. And he saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. And I will forever be grateful to him for that.
1: And I know you've paid it forward in a number of ways, including an organization that we'll talk about in a minute. But do you find that when there is a person that you encounter in your life where you can step up and maybe do what your mentors did for you that you think back to those days?
2: Oh, absolutely. And when I work with especially young lawyers or young paralegals, I always try to look at them and ascertain what their talent is and encourage them to focus on that talent and to use it to the best of their ability. I've raised four children and I've always told them that when you see people, whether they're checking you out at the grocery store, wherever they are, find something nice to say about them you can find something nice like I love your glasses or you have beautiful eyes. And it is amazing how when you just do that one act of kindness to people, it can change their day. So we really try to do that in our law firm is act with kindness and understanding and recognize the strengths of each individual.
0: I can't help but totally feel that you have embraced that and also have done that for other people and not just occasionally. It just feels like this is how you wake up in the morning. Like, who can I talk to today? Who can I encourage today? Because it's just, it is who you are. You know, Amy, I I
2: actually do that. I am so grateful for the path my life has taken. I've been a single mom for a long, long time. And to be able to support four kids and do what I do and be able to help people, I am extraordinarily grateful and I want to play it forward. I want to, uh, to make sure that I do the same for others, that I may give a spark to, to make them think differently about their path in life.
1: Tell us about your early days as a lawyer.
2: I got married when I was 17. In my culture, that's kind of what you did. So I stayed in my hometown of Sherman, and I took the only job available, and it was with a small insurance defense firm. There were five partners, male partners at the firm. I was the only associate and the only female. So you can imagine how downhill it ran at that firm. They gave me a salary, but said, you have to bring in X amount of money every year to get a bonus. And I wasn't getting enough work for a while to bring in enough money to get bonus. So I started doing traffic tickets. And, and I was known at one point as the traffic queen of Grayson County. <laughs> I could quash <laughs> tickets with the best of them. The municipal star, you have to have all five points of the star clearly seen on the citation or you can kick that sucker out. I did a lot of traffic tickets and I tried cases in municipal court. I would try anything that came in the door and I really didn't have a mentor. I kind of just did it on my own. I realized later in the game I was doing a lot of things wrong, but I learned by experience. My big break, I think, in the legal profession came when my obstetrician gynecologist was sued for malpractice and um, he and I had a very close relationship and he said, Charlie, I want you to be my lawyer. And I said, doctor, I don't even know anything about mal. I can't be your lawyer. You know, I'd never tried a, a major case like that. And through him, I met the insurance adjuster for the medical malpractice largest group here in Texas and got to know him. And he and I really hit it off. And he says, I'm going to start giving you cases And I said, are you kidding me? And he said, yeah. I didn't know what I was doing at first, but this guy, his name is Dan Marley. He's a dear friend to this day. He saw something in me and he said, you're going to be my go-to lawyer. And so I did a medical malpractice defense for about 13 years before I became a plaintiff's lawyer. And I learned an incredible amount from doing that.
0: Charlotte, can I follow up on that? Because I think... One of the hardest things for women, both on the plaintiff side and the defense side, is getting work, if you will, like gathering clients, particularly on the defense side. So that story is striking to me because you were a young lawyer and looking for business and able to get your own business. And I think that's something that we all struggle with, again, both on the defense side and the plaintiff side. Some of this is in the right place at the right time, but your stories all come back to me as a little bit of good timing, but a lot of hard work, and particularly a lot of being just who you are. So help us understand, how do we get that kind of work? How do we do it?
2: I never set out, I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that. This is my goal. I just wanted to be a lawyer. I was so happy that I could be a lawyer and I wanted to pay off my school loans as well. But Motivating. <laughs> I think a lot of it has boiled down to personal relationships and not approaching a relationship with an ulterior motive of I'm going to use this as a stepping stone to further my career. It's about getting to really know people and understand them and form a relationship with them. And Dan Marley, this particular insurance adjuster, he said, I could see your sincerity and I knew how well that would sell with a jury. And I gotta tell you, he took a leap of faith. I'll never forget the first deposition I went to in Denton, Texas. And there were these big lawyers from Dallas. And I mean, I was sitting there thinking, holy crap, what am I doing here? And one of them asked about an ENT. And I took a break and I called Dan. I said, what's an ENT? He said, oh, dear God, have mercy. <laughs> it's, a doctor. it's one of the defendants in the lawsuit. I'm like, oh, OK, thanks, thanks. I think also with women, I think sometimes we have a tendency to want to show how smart we are because we have been so underestimated in our profession and continue to be, quite frankly, by the men that we have the urge to try to show them how smart we are rather than showing any vulnerability and i think being able to show vulnerability is really important with a trial lawyer even in front of a jury i mean Mm -hmm. juries appreciate that they relate to it they see you as a human mine has been really personal relationships that have projected me to where i am and i'm very cognizant of that and very appreciative
0: a lot of personal relationships are cultivated by seeing each other at networking events and reaching out how have you kept up with personal relationships in the year of COVID. What advice do you have about that?
2: It's been extraordinarily difficult. My oldest daughter had a health issue and she lives in New York City and she was staying with me for the first four months. So I was really focused on that issue at the time. But I realized at some point that I really was isolating myself in this state of isolation. It took effort. And what I started doing is saying, hey, let's FaceTime with some of my lawyer friends and even some like from California, we would FaceTime. And you realize that you have to actively do that to keep the relationships going. Some of the organizations that I've been involved in initially, we didn't hear from anyone and there were no meetings or anything. And then everybody quickly adjusted to the Zoom and the FaceTime and things like that. So it takes a lot more effort when you can't, you know, actually see people face to face. It's been a very, very difficult year. I've always thought I was so lucky that I tried four cases in the 12 months before COVID started because at least I got my trial fixed for a while. Exactly,
0: exactly. Well, and it's wonderful to be able to, as you said earlier, give that to your clients because so many of our clients and yours now too are just waiting in line and we're not sure how long that's going to last. It really is. And I found they're so very patient with us and with the system, but it's just been so difficult. How have you tried to communicate and keep up with your clients throughout this time? We don't take
2: a lot of cases at my firm. We're really selective. And I can tell you every case we have in this firm, I know every client. That is so very important to me. What we've done is first lower expectations. Pre-COVID, I always would tell clients, you know, you need to count on it's going to be at least a year and a half before your case is going to be reached for trial. Now, when you sign up the case, you have to say, I can't give you an estimate as to when we'll be able to try your case because everything is so backlogged. And by and large, all of them have understood. In fact, I think all of my clients have really understood that I think part of it is to set their expectations so they don't have this false hope that their case is going to move quickly during the pandemic.
1: I'm thinking back to my own beginnings as a first-year lawyer. I was in a defense firm and the partner who gave me work, gave me a case that was worth $400. And he said, go get a jury trial. It was a subrogation case. And my boss was saying, you got to get experience and jury experience in persuading people. That's a big part of who you were. You, You learned how to do that by doing it.
2: Absolutely. And I tell young lawyers that I talk to in organizations and the young lawyers in my firm, a trial is a trial is a trial, period. I mean, those traffic tickets were in municipal court, but I was talking to people. I think sometimes the younger generation think, oh, well, that case is not significant enough. That might be beneath me. I would urge young lawyers, if you want to be a trial lawyer, try anything that comes your way that you have the potential to try.
1: I've heard people say just volunteer. Just just go take some pro se cases, do something, get in the courtroom. Have you found this to be a problem in your community, in the legal community, that there's a lack of trial experience?
2: Absolutely. I've seen a lot of it. And like you said, especially with a lot of the large firms here at our firm, we take cases for the young lawyers that we otherwise wouldn't take just for them to get the experience to go and try a case. And there's something about being a litigator versus being a trial lawyer. And I think the defense can smell somebody that's afraid of a trial. I mean, it's almost a palpable fear. If you have not done it, You just don't feel comfortable. You know, I've tried over 200 cases to a verdict. I'm not afraid of trying a case. And I think that helps my clients because the defense lawyers know when I say I'm going to try this case, I mean I'm going to try this case.
1: I'd like to circle back to the mentorship because that's how I see your organization, Athea Trial Lawyers. Could you tell us about the origin and mission of Athea?
2: It's something that I'm really excited about. I've been practicing 35 years, and this has just given me kind of a new zest to go in a different area. I'm still working in all my cases at my firm, don't get me wrong, and Aldous Walker will always be my priority. But I was approached by a lawyer in Los Angeles. Her name is Deb Chang. She said, Charlie, I've been thinking a long time about forming a virtual law firm of women across the country to try cases as a female law firm and to mentor young women in the profession. I loved it. I loved the concept. There's now six partners in the firm. We formed the firm right before COVID and then COVID hit and we're like, okay, is somebody trying to tell us something here? But we have had so much fun. We have about six cases that we're working on collectively and it's just, it's a sisterhood. And as Amy knows, it's not easy for women in our profession. It's a different ballgame. And it has been so much fun working with these women. We're trying our first case, hopefully, in Orange County, California. And it's just been an inspiration to me. And we've been doing a lot of creative case framing seminars, really working with young women in the profession. It's been inspirational for me, and I've absolutely loved it
1: thus far. I'm looking at the website, by the way, I should spell that, it's A-T-H-E-A, is that correct? Right. All right. And I'm spelling it in case anyone wants to go look it up. A couple of the phrases stand out to me, fighting for a just cause. Well, you know, you could say that's just what lawyers do, but I suspect there's a certain type of case you're after.
2: We're certainly interested in cases involving women, French sexual assault of women, discrimination against women. Any of those cases. But Athea's purpose is to do basically what I've been doing for the last 25 years since I became a plaintiff's lawyer is to fight for the underdog for those that but for us would not have a voice and do it as women. It's it's really been interesting because some of the conferences we've had on our cases when we're all on and there's our male counterparts and you can tell they're a little discombobulated by it. They just don't know quite what to do with all of these strong women.
0: I'm just enjoying it. I was going to say, that's where you just smile to yourself and give each other (laughs) looks and winks because you know exactly what's happening. Oh, and even doing it by
2: Zoom, you can see it. And it's just, we are having so much fun. Of course, we're texting each other. (laughs) And and what's really neat about this group of women, you know, everybody's confident. We work as a team. It's no ego. No, I'm going to do this or you're going to, you know, we play to each other's strengths. So it's been quite, quite fun.
1: When I'm reading about Athea, I'm seeing a couple things here that stand out. Gone are the notions of traditional brick and mortar law firms. Plus the fact that you are advocating for using cunning and intelligence rather than brute strength with mentions of technology. I get the feeling that you're thinking things need to change here, that we can do better and more efficient and help more people. Tell me about whether I'm on target here.
2: You absolutely are, Eric. And I, I'll tell you, I'm the least technologically advanced partner at Athea. The rest of them are computer whizzes and I am horrible, horrible at computers and technology. And they've all been so patient with me and they're teaching me and I'm learning so much. Deb Chang is probably one of the most amazing people on creating slides for opening, for examination of witnesses, and theming a case. We have a a branch of the Athea trial lawyers is Slide Girl, where a person can submit their case and we will theme the case and do the slides. I personally don't do that, but we have a group, a creative group that's amazing. And we've had a lot of female lawyers especially have approached us and said, will you help me theme my case? And then we have another aspect of the firm that's called Virtual Courtroom, and we have a jury consultant named Sonia Chopra, who's very, very well known in California, and she's the mainstay in our virtual courtroom where we do mock trials and focus groups, and it's all uh, virtually. So we're really trying to encourage people to see that you can meet people from other states that are far away and work closely with them on projects and do it virtually. And Athea has helped me tremendously learn that I can do that.
1: I'm going to take another chance to go back to something else you said. We were talking about sexism and men and maybe your comment on how far we've come as far as getting rid of these attitudes and how far we have yet to go.
2: I tried a case over in Paris, Texas, which is, um, it's Paris, Texas. That's all I can say. And uh, the judge was, he was usually drunk by noon when he was on the bench, but I was about to start trial and he goes, Miss Aldis, I want to see you back in my chambers. So I went back in there. I thought, oh God, I'm already getting called to the principal's office and we haven't even started. And he said, are you one of those lady lawyers with a chip on your shoulder? And I had to sit there and think, do I just tell him off? Or do I just bear it? And I thought about my client, and I'm like, "This is the judge—good, bad, or indifferent." So I quickly assessed it and said, "Your Honor, I don't think I am, but I have a feeling if you find out that I am, you're going to knock that chip right off." He said, "Damn straight—that's exactly what I'm going to do." And I oh. said, okay, let's go. <laughs> I've not had that kind of blatant sexism in the last decade, but I can tell you innately it's still there, and anybody that tells you it's not. Only a man could tell you it's not there. <laughs> I don't think there's any woman that is a trial lawyer in our profession who would tell you there's not some degree of sexism still existing. Do you agree, Amy?
0: I do agree. And the struggle on a very regular basis is what you have set up, which is how do I handle it? My gut is to react and tell that judge a thing or two, or tell that defense attorney, or even if I sense it a little bit, just to call it out and to get, just get in their face. I know that's not the right answer. And oftentimes I feel like I'm betraying myself for not having that gut reaction to tell people off because it feels good for about two seconds. And then you know it's not the right way to advance the cause. It's not the right way to help the client win the case. So you really have to set aside your gut reactions. For me, it's taken a long time to be disciplined in that way and to see the outcome if I choose the reaction versus the measured response. And it doesn't feel great every time, but I know it's the right thing to do. And I know that the respect will come from that measured response versus the reaction, because oftentimes that's all they're looking for. So it has been a learned behavior for me not to have that gut reaction. That is
2: exactly how I feel, Amy. It's affirmation to me to hear you say that. I feel the same way. And the way I've been able to deal with it in a, a personal way where I don't feel like I'm compromising my values is to think I've got to do what's best for my client. And what I oftentimes tell young female lawyers is do not let male chauvinism trigger you because if you let them get under your skin and let it trigger you, you will not think clearly.
0: So it's true. Same
2: thing. Don't ever get angry if you can help it in trial, because when you're angry, you can't think clearly. By way of example, the Honda case that I just tried, the defective seatbelt. The lawyer on the other side, he was their national counsel, you know, who flew in and he was a very important person. If you don't believe me, you can ask him. And there was a witness that I had done the direct examination of and he was doing the cross. Well, the Elmo was there in the middle of the the tables and he was to my left. I was sitting right by the Elmo and my law partner, Brent Walker, was to the right of me. When he started introducing exhibits, he walked around me and handed the exhibit to Brent. And so I let it go on for a while, and we broke for the evening, and I told Brent that night, I said, I'm going to address this. So the next day, he took the exhibit over to Brent, then he offered it, and I stood up and I said, Your Honor, I have not seen the exhibit yet. And he said, well, he didn't have an objection. I said, well, I'm a she, and I haven't seen the exhibit yet. There you go. But I said it in a very methodical way. And the judge was a feminist and she had seen everything that was going on. And the female women on the jury kind of looked back, you know, and they got it. Yeah. I honestly don't think that man, the lawyer on the other side, intentionally thought I'm going to disparage Charla or treat her differently. It was just innate. I was a girl. And so mm-hmm. he to the exhibit to the man.
0: So that, wow. that's an
2: example of how it's still very, very prevalent.
0: I got to tell you. Ya- I've been doing this since 1996, and I mean, I think we all have stories, even up to last year or or this year. Maybe they're not quite as blatant. Maybe they're not quite as consistent. I don't know, but they're out there. And even in a small form or what looks like a benign-ish situation, it is effective and affecting So it's just been a constant recognition of it and learning how to deal with it. And I talk to the younger female lawyers at my firm all the time, and this is part of what we talk about on our podcast, is how to react or not react, don't take the bait and those types of things. And the younger women are sometimes just flabbergasted by the stories. And I say, just give it time. It's gonna happen to you. And the more you think about how to deal with it now, the better off we're all gonna be. I don't have any delusions that it's going away. Part of that is because, Charla, as you pointed out, there aren't that many of us, there aren't that many women trial attorneys that are trying the kind of cases that you're trying. As you said, with this Honda gentleman, he didn't even realize he was doing it. It's because he may not have ever had a woman lead in a case before, right? I mean, that's possible, it's likely considering the caliber of the case that you were trying so i'm just so proud of you and so proud of the women that i work with and my goodness the women at athea that you're all out there and getting it done because the more that we are out there being seen just putting our head down minding our own business and getting the work done for our clients the more routine and accepting it'll be One of the the benefits of
2: me doing this podcast is learning about Hills in the Courtroom. I can't wait to start listening to it.
0: We have fun. It is our therapy. I love it. (laughs) You ladies at Athea should do it too. You all would have fantastic stories. I would love to listen to that. I haven't thought about
1: that. One of my guests a few weeks ago was a retired appellate judge who was also a trial judge and a trial attorney. And she was talking about how when she started in the late 70s, early 80s, she thought that she and her female partners approached things in the courtroom somewhat differently than their male counterparts. They just had a different maybe way of communicating with the jury. I suspect that in addition to the hurdles that you face as a female lawyer, you might have opportunities.
2: I love the fact that I'm a woman and a lawyer. There's so many advantages that I think we have. Use your femininity, use the fact that the jury's gonna perceive you differently. Now I do say this, one difference is, and I truly believe this, as a woman, you cannot start out being extraordinarily aggressive in a case, even with a witness, a hostile witness, you've got to earn the right to be aggressive. Whereas the men, they do it and people expect that. They're just being an advocate. Well, the woman, you know, she's strident, she's hysterical, she's this, that, and the other. So I think there are things that we have to do a little bit differently, which are not fair, but it's reality that we have to do differently than our male counterparts. But I think if you use it in the right way, it can absolutely be advantageous.
0: So Athea, Randy McGinn is one of you ladies, right? I went to an AAJ women's conference many years ago. And I remember Randy giving a seminar to a conference room of women. How many conferences have we been to? How many seminars have we been to? So, so, so many. But I remember this one because she was addressing being a woman trial attorney. And she said, the jury looks at you differently. And if you're lucky, you can be seen as a nurturer, a caregiver, you want to remind that jury of their favorite first grade teacher, their mother, their aunt, whatever role you fit. Why would you ever want to look like a man? Why would you ever want to dress like a man? Why would you ever want to act like a man? When you have this unique ability to tap into some really wonderful feelings that the jury hopefully has of women in their lives, women in leadership roles in their lives, women that matter to them, be that person. And not that men can't be that person, but that's not how men approach practicing law. That's not how they approach being trial attorneys. As you say, Charla, they're aggressive and have to be in charge. And we don't have to do that. And the advantage of not having to be that person and to instead being reminiscent of someone that the jury really respects and in fact loves is an incredible advantage and i remember learning that from randy and i've never forgotten it i dress like a woman in court i wear dresses and i wear color and i tell every woman lawyer i know every trial attorney i know why would you want to look like a man? You're not. Let's take advantage of it. I love what you just said. And what you said about Randy, I can hear her saying it. And, you know, part
2: of it, Amy, with working with these Athea, the women, you think, you know, I've had some success and all that kind of stuff, but you wonder, am I doing it right? Should I be doing it differently? And when you get with these people that are very successful and accomplished, and you realize they have the same belief system and look at things the same way, it's very affirming. It really is. I love this one story of Randy. She's trying a case. I think it was in Albuquerque and she had a dress on and she got down in front of the jury on the floor and was writhing like the plaintiff did in the emergency room. And the defense lawyer said, may we approach the bench? And they approached the bench and he he said, John, I object to this display. I can see Miss McGinn's underwear. And she said, I'm going commando. What are you talking about? Oh, no. <laughs> I don't you have any on. Like, That's crazy. I mean, you're not going to fluster her. <laughs> she just a force of nature. You know, one thing, though, I'll tell you that ticks me off a lot of times is when you're a part of a team that involves some strong men, and they always say the women can do the damages portion of the case.
0: Oh, I find mm-hmm. that
2: insulting. Yeah, I can do the damages portion of the case, but I can also cross-examine engineers and physicians and experts because I think sometimes people think the women need to do the soft stuff. Right. But when you approach it the right way, I think women have the ability to be much more effective in cross-examination than men in in some instances.
0: I agree because sometimes they don't see it coming. Right. Like I said, Back to the (laughs) underestimating. Back to the (laughs) underestimating. I love it. Exactly right. I love it.
1: I'd like to give each of you an opportunity to give your uh, elevator speech. A young woman law student approaches you and says, I want to be a trial lawyer. And you get to give your favorite bit of advice. What would you say?
2: My advice to a woman or a man would be be authentic. Just always, always be yourself. If you try to be anybody else, a jury will smell it a mile away.
0: I agree with that, and I would just add, be prepared to work hard. You're not going to get any breaks, but anything that is worth having is worth working hard for. So if you're really, if your heart is in it, then welcome aboard.
1: Charla, it's been a great conversation. Thank you again for being so generous with your time for both of these episodes.
2: Absolutely. I've thoroughly enjoyed it.
1: Amy, thanks to you too for joining us. You bet. All right. So this has been another episode of The Jury is Out. I'm Eric Veith, along with guest host Amy Gunn. I'll be back again with John Simon soon for our next episode. See you then. Thanks for listening to this Encore episode. We hope you enjoyed it. We'll be back next time with a new episode. See you then.
0: The Jury is Out is brought to you by The Simon Law Firm. Share your comments with John and Eric at comments at thejuryisout.law. And if you want a lively look at life and law from a female attorney's point of view, check out our Heels in the Courtroom podcast and subscribe today because the best lawyers never stop learning.